So earlier this week, one of our elders, Rex, sent me a text, and I can't remember, well, he sent Chip and me a text, and I can't remember which day it was, but he said, hey, just a heads up, it's been nine years since we started leasing this space. And so I don't, yeah, I mean, for some of us who, who kind of remember the beginning of that, that's kind of wild to think about. Man, time has flown by so quickly, uh, but so grateful for all the things that have happened in the space. So, much, so many things have happened here since we've been here in the last nine years. Uh, life change, baptisms, small groups, meetings, people serving, giving of their time and their offerings faithfully. Um, so, many, so many different meetings, so many different community outreach things that, that happen here just every, every single week. And to think about that happening over the past nine years is a pretty, pretty cool thing. So we can kind of celebrate that this morning if we want to. If you guys want to clap or however, woohoo, whatever, whatever you want to do. Um, uh, the church is not the building. The church is the people. However, a building, a space can be a helpful tool in our mission of helping people find Jesus and love God. So uh, pretty cool stuff. I'm grateful for that. I've also, in those past nine years, developed a conspiracy theory. You guys want to hear it? I hear they're all the rage these days. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you my nine-year conspiracy theory. If you notice, if you have seats in front of you, on the seat back in front of you, every other seat just about, there is a drink holder attachment to some of those chairs. And I think, I think those are nice to have, especially if you grab a cup of coffee as you're coming in, if you've got a bottle of water or something like that. Um, you can set it in, in that drink holder, and that's really cool and convenient. But I've noticed something. Every time that we have to rearrange the chairs or, or move them. I just noticed every once in a while there's another chair that has a drink holder attachment on it that has a piece broken off or missing. Now, I, I, this happens, I mean, regular usage is just perfectly fine and understandable. I mean, you know, things, things happen and that's great. But here, here's, the con, here's, here's the thing. Never once have ever found one of the broken pieces. So I've never seen them anywhere. I know that it happens because I'm looking at the back of the chair and I can see, oh, there's a piece missing. But, but never have I ever seen one laying on the floor anywhere or seen it get knocked off or any of that kind of stuff. Never had anybody come up to me and say, hey, you know, this, this piece, you know, I found this on the floor. It, it broke off or something like that because my coffee was really heavy this morning or, or that kind of thing. And so here, here's the, the only rational explanation that I can think of for this is that somebody, somebody really likes breaking off pieces of chairs. And I don't know what it, it's, it's in, it's in a jacket or a pocket or a purse or something, but somebody has a collection of all these pieces somewhere. And, and that, to me, I, that's the only rational explanation I can think of. So somebody, some, I don't know how many of you think much of, uh, I just know somebody knows. And if you have any information about this, um, we'll set up a tip hotline. We'd love to... <laughs> We'd love to pray for that person. Um, just kidding. But seriously. Um, hey, I, you know, you might not be impressed with my conspiracy theory, but people are into some pretty weird stuff. I don't know if you've noticed that. Whether it's finding pens and trash shoved down in the seat back pockets of chairs at church, that wasn't passive aggressive at all. Uh, or deeply disturbing reports of human behavior that we hear about in the news cycle, shared on social media. Uh, there's pretty clear evidence that human beings are both tempted to do things that are wrong and they also follow through on those temptations to a disturbing degree. It's also painfully obvious that over the last several decades in particular, we've come to a vastly different understanding in our society and culture of what constitutes a temptation and what is just being true to one's authentic self. 
And so we have been in a sermon series as a church called Live No Lies because we are looking at those kinds of things that exist in our world today and we're calling out what's the lie and what's the truth. And we're calling out the enemies of, those, of our souls that cause us to live in the lie, to participate in unreality. And so because we live in a world broken by our sin, there are three enemies of the soul. Last week we talked about the devil who introduces deceptive ideas. This week we're going to talk about the flesh that's such a fun way to put it, isn't it? Uh, the deceptive ideas that are introduced into our world that play to disordered desires in our hearts and souls. And next week, we're going to be talking about the world, where those deceptive ideas and those disordered desires come together and, and are normalized in a sinful society. So last week, we talked about the devil, who's the adversary, who's the accuser, who's the father of lies, whose power in the world lies within deception and manipulation. Uh, today we're going to tackle the flesh, which in some contexts you read that in Scripture, and it's just talking about our body. That, that's, you know, we have, we have flesh. Um, I, I think I was talking to my kids a few years ago, and we were talking about what, you know, where meat comes from, and that it's muscle, and that we have muscle, and that's, that's kind of an interesting conversation. Uh, but yeah, just the, the, the practical, natural body that we have. Uh, when Scripture is talking about the flesh in terms, though, of, of the bad part, the sinful desires part, the disorder of desires part that play a part in our hearts, souls, and minds, um, we're talking about the appetites or the spaces in our hearts and minds that hold on to the pleasures, passions, and desires that you know, maybe reflect something, something good, something that we're created with to, to experience, but that get twisted or disordered into such, in a, such a way that the pleasure derived is of greater importance than what is meant to make the pleasure good to experience in the first place. This is how our appetites become addictions, and this is how our addictions cause us to perpetuate the unreality of living out a lie. So let me give you an example. Think of the classic traditional romance story, boy meets girl, or vice versa. They date, they hang out with each other, they develop a friendship, they fall in love, they share their first kiss, and after a while, they get engaged, plan the wedding, get married, honeymoon, which is where you get to celebrate physical intimacy and coming together. And after a while, perhaps a baby in the baby carriage, not necessarily, but maybe. Otherwise, till death do they part, an ideal celebrated and cherished. Things have shifted a little bit in our culture. Uh, the goodness and the pleasure of that relationship uh, is celebrated and is ideal because it's built upon a solid foundation that is supposed to be a covenant of two people agreeing upon an authoritative idea of what the relationship is supposed to be in the first place, okay? But things have shifted a little bit and they've changed. So if we think about the classic traditional romance story versus the modern sexual revolutionized romance story, the order is a little bit different. After all, if we don't subscribe to an authority that's higher than ourselves, why deny ourselves the pleasure that we want and jump through hoops just to be able to feel good. Okay, so now we find ourselves in a place, and this starts in, this, this starts with high schoolers, okay? I mean, this starts early on, and, and people are trying to move the needle even younger and younger. Well, the modern love story that gets all the attention is, you start with the physical intimacy first. I mean, that, that's where you go, and then you might actually have a conversation. You might start talking to each other. Um, then, then you might even have your first kiss after that. And then you might start dating. I, you know, it's, 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 it's give or take, or hanging out with, with friends together. Then you move in together. Then you have a baby in the baby carriage and you get really upset because you didn't realize that's what's supposed to happen when you're physically intimate with, with each other. 
but, but it is. That's a normal function of, of our bodies when that happens. Um, then maybe after a few years, maybe get engaged. Maybe, you know, after 10 years of engagement, maybe get married. And we'll keep it going until, until we fall out of love, really, because life's too short, you know, to be with somebody that you don't love, right? Um, but that's, that's pretty tricky if you never took the time to fall in love to begin with. So let me, let me be really clear when I say that. I say a little bit of that with tongue-in-cheek, but some of us, like, see that actually, actually happening and living out in our world. I'm not attacking anybody's story when I say that, when I share these examples. But, but we do see where it does become a problem when we get things out of order. Because there's a reason, there's a foundation upon which those things are meant to be enjoyed and experienced. And listen, I'm not saying that if you go with the first option that it's all going to end well because there are other disordered desires in our heart that play a part that can, that can harm things in, in that relationship and cause it to end differently. So not everybody who goes with option one ends up with you know, the, the, best, the best ending of, of anybody else in the world. And it's not that in option two, there aren't ways in which God works those things out to the good where there's a healthy and loving marriage and relationship that comes out of that. Um, but the second is definitely statistically, I'm not just, I'm not just saying this. I mean, statistically, you can go, you could Google this and, and, and look it up on your own. It is less likely to produce a happy and healthy marriage long-term because the foundation it starts on is shaky. And it's not built on something that lasts beyond those initial pleasures or those initial feelings or those feelings of, you know, being authentic to ourselves and what we want in, in that moment. The progression of disordered desires, um, which actually refers to doing things in the wrong order, just like the example we talked about, causes us to miss out on what we are really needing and wanting. In a marriage, for example, what men and, re- men and women really need and want from each other is a complementary relational intimacy and a covenant relationship which is built on a shared faith and an authority that sets the foundation for what love actually looks like. Let me just put it simply. When our pleasures are what define us, we miss out on our deepest desires. When physical intimacy and lifestyle and tragedy and physical and emotional well-being um, physical, emotional, mental well-being change the scope of a relationship. Again, in keeping with our, our current example of a marriage, um, it better be built on something stronger than the other person's ability to make us feel good. Because if, if it's not, it's, it's going to crumble. Of course, this is just one example of many. Every time we want something, every time we have a desire, a pleasure, a passion, it's an opportunity for us to check our motivation. Uh, we live in a culture that says, oh, as soon as you feel that, you should base your entire life on that thing immediately. Like, let, let's just go with it. Make that decision and, and run with it. Um, however, that is not what leads to happiness. In fact, we continue to live in a society that is marked by depression, anxiety, stress, unhappiness, more and more and more. The more we just say, oh, whatever desire, whatever thing we want, let's not desire, uh, let's not, de- um, what's the word I'm, I'm, I'm searching for here? Uh, let's not um, deny, that's the word, deny ourselves anything. Like it's not, it's not producing the happiness that we want. Um, if we're not paying attention to where that desire is coming from, what we desire just might be based on our brokenness 
versus the wholeness that God wants us to experience and live out. Um, and listen, while the devil has introduced deceptive ideas into the world, we looked at those three enemies of the soul, um, he's not making us do anything. Some of you remember Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. Uh, great, great sketch on the Ed Sullivan Show, you should look it up on YouTube uh, as, soon as, as soon as church is over. Um, it's certainly not God toying with us either. When we are tempted, we are tempted from within. The pleasures, desires that threaten to convince us that the momentary pleasure of the lie is preferable to the goodness of the consistent contentment of the truth, that comes from within, within us. In James chapter 1, uh, James identifies this in verses 13 through 15. He says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. If you want to see a contemporary example of this kind of progression, um, watch the movie Inception. How many of you have you seen that, that movie where, where that, those deep-seated ideas that get into our subconscious affect us in ways that we don't even necessarily know um, and, or, or expect uh, because we're not, we're not paying attention to where those ideas and where those thoughts come from, but those things matter. Uh, momentary pleasures rewire our brains and our bodies and leave us broken in the end. Um, in this book that I've rec recommended uh, a couple weeks ago, Live No Lies, um, the author identifies all these great slogans that we use now that kind of um, illustrate where we've come, where we're no longer concerned about living life and, and goodness based on an authoritative way of understanding the world, but it's more of, uh, let's be authentic to our inner selves. Um, and so here's some of the phrases that, that we use popular slogans and catchphrases of our day that kind of determine how we, how we approach this. The heart wants what it wants. Have you heard that one? Um, I think Emily Dickinson was the one who first penned those words, but it was made famous by Woody Allen. Um, the context was as he was being interviewed about the affair that he was having with his stepdaughter. So just keep that in mind. The heart wants what it wants. Doesn't that, it sounds like it should be like on a little social media meme with like flowers and mountains behind it. It uh, probably doesn't mean what we think it means. Or follow your heart. If you've got a friend who's just so supportive and, and tells you, you know, you just got to follow your heart. Um, they're, they're not supporting you uh, in the way that you need to be supported. Or you do you. Um, uh, please don't. Uh, just, just do it. You know, just, just go for it. You just, you just got to go it. I, I know it's a very popular marketing campaign, but it um, doesn't, doesn't always work out. Uh, one of my favorites is, Speak your truth. I'm just, just speaking my truth, and I'm just, just letting you guys, you guys know how, how I feel about that. Yeah, terrible approach. Um, love is love. That's a good one. Um, means absolutely nothing, right? Uh, let's define the thing by itself, and, and that, that clears everything up. And, of course, the, the be true to yourself. Be true to yourself, um, and, and I didn't realize, I, I had to, uh, uh, I, I read this, um, is a quote from the play Hamlet. And you know the character who says this? Uh, the, the original version is, is this, this above all to thine own self be true. The character who said that is the character who's the fool um, in, in, in the story. Um, happiness has become about feeling good, not being good. And so the good life, you know, the way that's portrayed has become about getting what we want, not becoming the kind of people who want truly good things. Um, and that, that actually ruins us 
before experiencing what we really do want to experience deep down inside in our lives. Our deepest desires usually become people who are good and who are loving, full of grace and mercy and peace, are often sabotaged by the stronger surface-level desires of our flesh. Um, It's exacerbated by a culture where the widespread wisdom of the day is to follow our desires rather than laying them down at the foot of the cross. Uh, But in reality, the the idea of being true to yourself or love is love or the heart wants what it wants is some of the worst advice we can follow today. Um, Giving into the desires of our flesh does not lead us to freedom and life. It enslaves us to our passions and our whims that change like shifting sands and crashing waves. When we don't subject ourselves to a higher authority, we enslave ourselves to our passions. And for everyone who says that we should be authentic to our own desires versus subject to God's authority on defining a good life and what it means to be human, um, in the sin that we participate in, we, we recognize there is a competing truth that that sin separates us from, that we really do want. Um, for example, in, in, a, in a relationship, we want relational intimacy with our spouse. Well, we're not going to get that if we're addicted to porn. Right? So, so the, in, the, in the sin that's there, the momentary pleasure that, that we want to seek in that thing, there's a competing truth that that sin separates us from. When we want to live a healthy and long life, we, we, we'd say that. Um, we're not going to if we're addicted to eating junk all the time. Like we, we understand those things. We want to live fulfilled, meaningful lives. Well, we're not going to if we're addicted to our own selfishness and pride and live lives directed by our own desires to our own self be true. We want to be happy. Well, we're not going to be if we're addicted to rejecting holiness because that is what produces the goodness from which we derive joy. So in an environment in which we live, in which deceptive ideas produce disordered desires in our hearts, an environment where we are obsessed with being um, true to our authentic selves, the question for us is, well, to which self should I be authentic? Because on the one hand, I have these desires that want me to do this really quick thing that, that I'll get some momentary pleasure from, but then that's a competing thing for this ultimate truth that, that, that deep down, this is the thing that I really want. But that seems like harder work. But, but to which self should I be authentic? The instant gratification self or the flesh? Should I be authentic to that one or my soul that wants real and lasting joy and peace and community and contentment because that's what it was created to thrive on? Those are the gifts of God that he wants us to be experiencing in this life. God knows this tension is within us. In Romans chapter 7, Paul identifies this, um, and he describes it, starting in verse 18. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of of sin." Um, This is where a lot of people are stuck, where most people are stuck in our world. And this constant tension of, I'm going for for what I want in the moment, and then realizing that does not satiate 
the desire that I have. So I'm going to keep going after it. I'm going to keep going after it. And yet, still this feeling of, intimate, of emptiness, lack of contentment, perpetuates. Well, thankfully, Paul keeps going. Thankfully, there's more. Despite the passions and appetites and addictions that we might be wrestling with, there is good news. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul continues on and says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done with what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness, righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Listen, as much as knowing and following God's Word in our lives will draw us closer to living and experiencing more joyful and peaceful life, that in and of itself does not complete the equation, nor does it adequately deal with the guilt and shame that comes from the disordered desires within us that gives birth to sin, the consequence of that being separated from God. Those are the things that are taken care of at the cross. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, they're fulfilled in us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we choose faith and repentance, confessing Jesus as Lord, when we participate in the symbolic burial of our old self and resurrection into the new self in baptism, and as we walk with Jesus' as disciples to participate in the new creation life into which we've been given freely in the gift of God's grace and mercy, He knows our weaknesses. God knows our disordered desires. He knows what we struggle with, what we've done. He knows what we don't want exposed to anyone what we still struggle with, and he continues to extend his arms as wide as possible to welcome us in to his embrace, loving us more than anyone else ever could, both accepting us and welcoming us in, and, and also not, not leaving us in the midst of our desires that cause this tension, that keep us from what we really want in life, but telling us the truth and showing us the path forward to transformational change and renewal in such a way that no other system of belief can provide for in the deepest needs and desires of our soul. And following our heart, our broken heart, that changes daily as to what we really want, is not going to get us there. We live in a world that's broken by sin and full of disordered desires, and the messaging of much of the world around us is that we should just give up. Don't, don't worry about it. Uh, lay down the tools and equipment of authority and instead to chain ourselves to our whims. On the one hand, we have the discipline of freedom. On the other is enslavement to the moment. And that's the choice we're given. And the struggle is real. And like Paul identified this in Romans chapter 7 but living and, and, and chapter 8, but living by the Spirit and setting our minds on the things of the Spirit produces real life and real peace and real contentment based on truth. So let me read the gospel one more time this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. This is Paul again. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He's referring to the, the devil when he says that. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. 
Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our disordered desires keep us from the deepest good desires of our souls. And yet, because of the grace of God, all that can be done away with. One of the, the, the rules that we have as a church, no perfect people are allowed, no one stands alone, everyone's story matters. Um, let's, let's be blunt. We've got a church, both, both here in person right now, people are traveling, people are at home right now. We have a church full of people with disordered desires. All of us come in here needing the grace of God. None of us come in here, and, and God does not look at us and say, oh, you better clean yourself up before you come in here. No, it, it's, it's a free free gift that he offers, uh, arms open wide, given to us to, to embrace, embrace those things. And the other gift that he gives us is the ability to not be stuck and wallow in those things in our life. That, that he created us for something, for something more. We are God's handiwork. We are God's artwork, is, is, is what that word means, created in Christ Jesus to good, do good works, not to earn ourselves a relationship with God, but to experience the goodness that a relationship with God is, is meant to be shared with us, the reason that God created us to begin with. Um, the way through our disordered desires is to participate in the good desires that God has created for us to enjoy and, and do the work that comes along with them. Um, these things, these good works, must become the priority for us versus our disordered desires. And the best way to make them priority is to make them a habit. It is to participate in those things. I was, um, my youngest is doing gymnastics, and uh, I was watching the way they have a big old window, and I, and I was watching them do, do all the things and being impressed. I mean, I've never been able to touch my toes with my knees straight. I, I can, I mean, I can do this, right? So you can be impressed, duly impressed with me. But I, at my most flexible, my most, most athletic, I've never been able to reach over and touch my toes. So it's fascinating to me that people can, can do those kinds of things. Every time my youngest does a back bend, I think it's a back bend. Is that what it's called, Nadia? Okay. Um, she's not my youngest. She's my oldest. She turns 15 tomorrow. Um, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done that to you. Uh, poor kid. Um, Every time she does a back bend or whatever that thing is, I mean, I just physically, I hurt. And, uh, and I, I, don't understand, I don't understand how that works. Um, it seems unnatural to me. Um, as I was watching, um, I, I was looking out, and I was trying not to be on my phone the whole time I was there. So I was just looking around, looking at stuff they had on the walls, uh, place lined with trophies and posters and that kind of thing. And I just, in the big observation window that's there, I just, just looked up, and I saw this quote. And this was just yesterday. I was thinking, man, that's, if that's not the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure, sure what is. And written about, in this gymnastics gym, okay, it was written this quote. We are what we repeatedly do. We are what we repeatedly do. 
Excellence is, therefore, not an act, but a habit. And, and, and to me, it was just, just, a, just a powerful moment as I think, about, I think about what we're talking about today and I think about what God has created us for and what we so, so often get caught up in and how that separates us for, from the goodness that God wants us to experience. Those good works that, that Paul is identifying there at the end of that passage in Ephesians are the soul-renewing habits that God has gifted us to be who we were created to be. The, the disordered desires, momentary pleasures within us, they might be a reflection of that goodness, but, but like we skip steps to get there because we, we, want it, we want it now. But that doesn't leave us satiated, and it, it doesn't produce contentment. These, these good works that Paul's referring to, I mean, this is expansive. This is not, well, you know, I was in Starbucks, and, and I paid for the coffee for the person behind me. Or, or that, it's, it's not, um, I said hi to my neighbor. No, it's everything that we participate in. It's the goodness in, in which we participate relationally with our spouse. It's the way we treat our kids. It's the way we, we go about our work. It's the way we treat our coworkers. It's the way we think about how God has gifted us time and ability and talents and resources to participate in his kingdom. It's, it's, every, it's, it's the food that we eat. It's the way that we approach our finances. It's the way that we think about rest and not being so hurried and rushed. It's, it's, the, it's the way in which we, we interact with our phone and on social media. I mean, it's everything that we participate in. There's an opportunity. There's good works that God has gifted us to be able to participate in the good life, the happy, joyful, peaceful life that, that are really our deepest, deepest desires and needs and wants. Um, disciplined desire based on God's authority is how we experience the good life. And anybody who tells you that you don't need discipline and just kind of go about and do whatever you want to do, I mean, they're not, they're, they're, they're not your friend. They're not helping you. They're not telling you the truth. The best way for us to experience the best life that God has created us for is, is to be disciplined with those things and to recognize where they're coming from and what they're meant to produce. And so here's my encouragement to you is, is make a habit of goodness. And, and the temptations that we, that, that we have in there, the, the idea here is not, oh, I can be super strong and I just need to engage in more willpower. Because if I, if I exert more effort on my own, like that's, that's the best thing. No, it's, it's to go away from it. It's to walk away from it. It's to avoid it. That's the idea of repentance is go in a different direction. Listen, I'm tell, what I'm telling you is if you need to turn off the internet at your house, to create better, healthier habits, to, to separate yourself from disordered desires, I'm saying that's what we should do. Even in a world where we function so much on that thing, yes, absolutely. If there's a store, if there's an aisle in the grocery store that you need to avoid, like don't, don't, walk, down, don't walk down that thing. If there's a coworker that you have a problem with, there are things that you know that are, that are wrong, that are happening, you, you need to separate yourself from that thing and replace it with a good thing that God has, has called you to do. There's so many opportunities that we have to replace those temptations, those desires with the good works, the good habits, the good disciplines that God has called us to, to do. We have all of those things at our fingertips. We've got to think through and participate in the way that God has created avenues for us to, to enjoy those things. I'll just give you one example. Um, I, I just deci decided a while back that I, wanted to, I just wanted to be immersed in Scripture more than I, current, than, I, than I had been. And so I just made a rule for myself. And, and this may sound silly to you, especially if you work from home and you don't drive much. I just said, the first drive of the day, I have to listen to Scripture. 
That's it. That's, that's the rule. And so we're talking about, we're talking about small, manageable steps in which we, we just change the trajectory and direction of our life where we can develop those habits, we can participate in the good works that God has created us to, be, to do, so we can experience the goodness of life that God has always meant for us to have. So let me encourage you to think through some of those things. When you're in those moments, when you have those, when you have those desires and you know the ones that, that don't satiate, that create shame and guilt, there's a, there's a different way forward. There's a different way, way um, that we can, we can walk and we can talk and we can live, live this life. And if you need somebody to help you out with that, let us know. This is the kind of place, like I said, no perfect people allowed and you don't have to stand alone in, in those things. We're, we're here, and, and as a congregation, we will walk together through, through those things because we know this is a tension that all of us struggle with. Um, and yet, the grace of God doesn't, doesn't leave us there. He, he leads us to the truth and to goodness in our relationship with him. Uh, let's share in that together. Uh, let's, let's pursue the goodness of God together. Uh, let's pray. God, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the practical application of understanding in just the, the difference between what it looks like to um, experience pleasure, to experience goodness, to have, have our desires, our wants, our needs fulfilled. That there's a reason why we're constantly in tension um, if, we, if we just kind of go, go based on whatever hearts want in that moment. That, no, that those desires need to be disciplined. And your authority causes us to discipline those things in such a way um, that we get to experience the, the goodness that you created us for from the beginning. God, we praise you for that. We honor you f- for that. We need your Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us in that. We know that we can't do it on our own strength. And we thank you for the grace and mercy that it is to have your indwelling presence in our life to help us along the way. God, we honor you. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.